A plan to enhance the screening of international packages for illegal opioids like fentanyl is coming into focus at Customs and Border Protection. CBP is gathering feedback on an interim final rule that strengthens the collection and sharing of advanced electronic data on packages coming into the U.S. This rule is part of CBP working with the Postal Service to stand up the Synthetics Trafficking and Overdose Prevention Plan, STOP, something Congress ordered in 2018. For more on how the rule puts CBP one step ahead of the drug smugglers, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the agency's executive director for cargo and conveyance, Thomas Overacker. The Synthetics Trafficking and Overdose Prevention Act, which was passed in October of 2018, had many provisions in it, one of which was to require the United States Postal Service to acquire advanced electronic data on mail coming into the United States and to send that data to CBP. Uh, And we use that data to perform risk assessments on international mail before it arrives at our mail facilities so that we can segment risk and identify those packages that we want to inspect, but also to facilitate the legitimate importation of goods by facilitating the immediate release of those that are low risk. Now, the data that we're talking about in this case, we call it advanced electronic data because we receive it prior to arrival, is similar to data we receive in other streams. But in this instance, if you've ever shipped a package internationally, you have to fill out a customs declaration. And on that customs declaration, you have, in addition to having who the shipper is and their address, and who the recipient is and their address, the data also includes a description of the goods and how much is in the package and what the value of that is. These are standard things that all customs services around the globe collect on international mail. It's part of an internationally accepted customs declaration. So that's the type of data that we're receiving from the Postal Service as a result of the STOP Act. Just to maybe better understand where things stand now versus where things were before the final regulation was in place, how does this AED requirement enhance the security of international mail shipments coming into the country? And and more specifically, how does it enable CBP to conduct better targeting and risk assessments to make sure that illegal fentanyl shipments and other hazardous materials aren't coming into the country? So going back decades, and actually going back to 2002 and the passage of the Trade Act of 2002, the then U.S. Customs Service required carriers that bring cargo to the United States to transmit to us electronically manifest information. And that manifest information tells us who is shipping it, who's receiving it, and what it is. And we use that data in our automated systems to identify those shipments that we consider of risk and so that we can take steps to mitigate those risks. What the STOP Act did, it essentially directed us to modify the Trade Act of 2002, yet again, in this case, to make certain that we got all of the data that we would need to perform risk assessments in the mail environment. And so what this enables us to do is really prioritize the work we do at our ports of entry so that our CBP officers who inspect goods whether it's from an ocean-going container or a truck at the land border, or in this case, a package arriving in international mail, we can use that data to run it against all of our law enforcement information and make a decision as to whether or not we need to take additional steps to inspect that package. And what this really does, it allows us to, one, not only try to identify fentanyl or illicit narcotics, in the mail stream, but it also enhances our ability to identify 
products that are of agricultural risk to the United States to identify unsafe products or to identify products that are counterfeit. In this way, we're protecting the American public from these goods coming into the United States. And in this day and age of e-commerce, where so much of what people do online causes goods to be shipped directly to their home, the use of this data gives us the opportunity to protect the American public and to interdict those illicit goods coming into the country. What does CBP do with packages that don't comply with this STOP Act requirement to have AED? And, you know, maybe a part two to that is just what kind of volume of packages don't have that AED and therefore don't comply with the STOP Act? First of all, based on the data that the United States Postal Service provides us and They really are the subject matter experts on that technical aspect of the question because they are the ones who are required to collect the data, and they are also the ones who know what mail actually comes into the United States so that they can do the match against what does and doesn't have the data. However, to really look at your question more specifically, there's a provision in the STOP Act which allows or actually directs the United States Postal Service to refuse mail that doesn't have AED. And so that's the first thing that we can do when we have non-compliant mail. The Postal Service themselves can refuse it. The second part of that is that we, CBP, can still look at the mail if we so choose and mitigate the risk. And by mitigating the risk, I mean we have the opportunity to further inspect it to make certain that it doesn't have contraband or illicit narcotics or unsafe or counterfeit goods in it. So that's what we can do. In terms of the numbers, one of the provisions in the STOP Act was that we could grant waivers to countries that do not have the technical capability or do not have sufficient volumes or are low risk from the AED requirements. And we've already done that. We've worked with the State Department and the Postal Service to identify those countries. But of the countries that are required to transmit data to us, over 80% of the mail that we're receiving now has data. And some countries are as high as 99% compliant. And for those countries that are non-compliant, we're working with the Postal Service, and the Postal Service is working with that foreign postal operator to get their numbers up. But in instances where we have egregious violations or we have low compliance, the Postal Service is actually taking it upon themselves to refuse that mail and to send that mail back to the foreign postal operator. You had mentioned about the waivers that some countries are getting. I understand that, to your point, yes, the vast majority of mail that's coming into the country does have this AED. It sounds like the USPS is taking the lead there and making sure that they do eventually reach compliance, these countries that don't have the AED. But help me better understand what role, if any, CBP has in getting those countries up to compliance. From the very beginning, going back to October of 2018 when the STOP Act was signed and went into effect, CBP, the United States Postal Service, and the Department of State have taken measures to inform foreign postal operators and foreign governments of the requirements of the STOP Act. And for example, the immediate focus of the STOP Act back in 2018 was on mail from China, and it required that by December 31st of 2018, that all mail from the People's Republic of China have AED. And so collaboratively, we, CBP, and the United States Postal Service and Department of State immediately contacted both China Post, Hong Kong Post, and Macau Post of these requirements. And we have worked with them and ever since that time to get their numbers up so that they can be fully compliant. So that was just part of the beginning of the process. 
But throughout this time, since October of 2018, we've also worked with the United States Postal Service and with the Department of State on not just identifying those countries that would receive waivers, but also on a report for capacity building so that the United States Postal Service can work collaboratively with the foreign postal operators so that they can get the technical capabilities they need to be compliant with the STOP Act. What has the reaction been from Capitol Hill with some of the deliverables here? I know they've been anxious to see some action from CBP under the STOP Act. What has the dialogue been like between CBP and them in terms of this final rule and where things stand? Well, as you know, the interim final rule requiring the advanced electronic data was published in the Federal Register on March 15th, and it has a 60-day comment period. That comment period will expire on May 14th. So it's still kind of too early to tell what the reaction is to the rule as it was published. But I would say that even though the publishing of the interim final rule did not occur until March 15th of this year, that did not stop CBP and the United States Postal Service from acquiring advanced electronic data and really operationalizing the use of that electronic data We actually began this process with the United States Postal Service as early as 2013. So the publishing of the rule really is codifying all of the work that we've done since then, but it also now sets into motion the requirements, not just for the United States Postal Service, but it actually is because it's public, it's something that Postal Service operators from around the globe can see as a best practice for identifying risk and mitigating risk in the international mail stream. Thomas Overacker, Executive Director for Cargo and Conveyance at Customs and Border Protection. Speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, What we're trying to do is is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, Great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So, what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is Ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership 
from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired others and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've uh, led this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.